Well, hey, I am uh, Pastor Tim. I know we've already done some reminiscing, but I remember our very first uh, core group meeting back in uh, the fall of 2006 at Russ and Rena's house there on Main Street in New Freedom. There was about six families that came out to, to meet me, to hear a vision for a new church in this area. It felt like a, a job interview, as I kind of mentioned earlier. We continued to meet that winter into the spring of 2007, and eventually we, we felt... Uh, called and assured that the Lord wanted us to plant a church. Uh, fun fact, not many of you know this, I originally had it on my heart to call this Pursuit Church. And I, and I got the looks from the core group that I'm getting from a lot of you now. That actually comes from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says that we press on, also translated there, pursue, we pursue Christ. And that was my heart and my vision for the church. But after some feedback, we settled on living hope out of First Peter, because of God's great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we sung that earlier, but we have, I pray and believe, continued to be in pursuit of Jesus for the last 15 years. That first Sunday, as we already heard a little bit about in 2007, there was about 10 families and some other friends that we invited. And uh, if you remember where the eatery is in the Y, uh, outside of our old coffee bar, we set up about 40 chairs. It was pretty pathetic. The old roller rink was still there, but it was the best place uh, to meet in the Y. As Amanda mentioned, they shut down that half of the building to renovate the roller rink. And so we met in the hallway outside of the pool. So if you if you imagine walking into the building right now where the greeters normally stand at the end of the hallway, that was where I stood to preach. And we were in a hallway. There were six chairs wide. We tried seven one week, but then you had to walk down the side sideways. And so we had a, a congregation of six chairs wide. And um, we met that way for about three months in the hallway outside of the pool. It didn't grow, I don't think, by a single person, but by God's grace, nobody left. And so... When, when the other side of the Y got finished, we move into the, what is now the old gymnasium, and man, we thought we were like in the Sistine Chapel. And uh, we had room to, to grow and put up chairs, and the Lord's been faithful. That very first Sunday, we were beginning a series in the Gospel of John, and so the very first sermon ever preached at Living Hope was from John chapter 1, um, on John the Baptist meeting Jesus. Um, I have a lot of memories, a lot of memories. Um, some of them involved my kids. As, as Amanda said, when the roller rink was still there, the kids would bring their skateboards and their scooters and they would play before and after church and, which was kind of beautiful because then the kid, the adults could clean up and chat and the kids were just all contained in the roller rink. Uh, they also had roller, uh, or skate ramps at the YMCA. And so one of my memories is a, a, I don't know, 500 pound skate ramp falling on my, my son Oliver crushing his tibia and fibia and having to rush him to the emergency room. That was an awful memory. Another awful memory was uh, little Sybil choking on a mint and someone having to come rush to find me in the eatery and, uh, and her uh, breathing way of being blocked by the mint. Praise God we got that out. I remember the time on Christmas Eve. My wife's a nurse. If you don't know, she was working Christmas Eve and uh, I believe it was little Jillian. I- I'm just going to put it on her because I have a story for everybody. Her diaper blew out. I mean like like bad. And so I'm across the hall in Studio B. She's completely naked. It's everywhere. It's on her dress. And I'm like, Lord, just help me to get this cleaned up and get a diaper back on her before they call me up to preach on Christmas Eve. 
Um, there was a time when Simon had been about five and, and I rolled up. Karen would always do worship on Sunday morning, so I was responsible to get the little kids up and dressed and ready into church. And we got to church, the five-year-old Simon hops out, it had been a terrible rain the night before, and I mean, he jumps immediately into the biggest, muddiest puddle that there was. And like, I couldn't even take him inside, had to drive everybody back home, was late to church. Uh, what, a, what a joy those days were. Um, <laughs> We, we've been through some things over the years. I remember a time, this is not a joke, that a woman had a miscarriage in the middle of service and, and literally almost bled out in the bathroom, had to call an ambulance and, and rush her to the hospital. Um, thank God she was okay. Um, I remember the time, I, I actually I don't remember it, I wasn't there, but I remember the time one of the kids pulled the fire alarm in the middle of service that I heard about it later. Everybody said, we were so glad, Tim, you were away that week. Um, <laughs> I remember the time that the AC was down in the old gym and we had to cram everybody in the activity center at the Y where we normally do lunch fellowship because it was the only uh, space we could fit in that was air conditioned. Um, who remembers the, the very first year we planted and we showed up one morning uh, to do all our setup and to set up for sound and there was a swim meet going on at the YMCA that we had not been told about. They, they forgot and there was literally hundreds of parents and kids wet towels everywhere, water everywhere, all over the wide. Do you guys remember that? Wow, what a nightmare. Um, but then, fast forward, to, uh, what, like, it was about three years ago, four years ago, the Y called us about hosting. Thankfully, they planned ahead this time. You guys remember this? There had been a bomb threat at Central High School. Central High School was closed down. They were hosting a swim meet. And so they called us. This is, this was the kind of relationship that, that we built. And they said, would you be willing to host a swim meet with us uh, this coming Sunday? There are hundreds of families in our community that, that, that don't have any place to go. And so we, I made some calls to the elders and deacons and we said, absolutely. And so we made extra coffee. We had you guys bring in muffins and, and we gave out coffee and muffins. We invited people into our worship service as hundreds of families filled the building that day for the swim meet. And so we've have all, all sorts of memories of what the Lord has done and hard times and, and, and wonderful times over the years. I believe we've grown strong and deep and wide as a church family. Yes, we've had ups and downs. We've seen many, many people come, but we've seen others go. Some have, have left and moved out of the area. Some have, have left for hard reasons. We've buried people. We've married people. We've seen more babies born in this church than I can even count. Uh, we've baptized many, many over the last 15 years. I went back and looked at our records. Uh, praise God, we've baptized 93 people here at Living Hope over the last 15 years. Amen. Amen. We have given away thousands of dollars over the, over the years uh, to people in need through our Benevolence Fund, to missions organizations, to missionaries and church planters. We now uh, have a strong leadership team of five elders and deacons, a, a wonderful support staff of five dedicated godly women, uh, over 50, probably more than that, that serve with, as children's teachers and life group facilitators and ministry leaders and youth volunteers and set up in hospitality and worship. And we now, after two years of a difficult pandemic, are in a strong place. Our finances are strong. Our weekly attendance is back up around 200. We had nine life groups last year. We're poised to expand those small groups even more this fall. Many of you know in 2017 we joined the Acts 29 network to get more involved in church planting. And we are preparing to send Ed and Maggie uh, out to Arizona, probably in 2023. Um, we are preparing to plant a church in North York um, in about four years. And God's been good. 
in the last 15 years have been a wonderful, wonderful journey. And what's interesting is that in those 15 years, our mission has stayed the same. We have a four-part mission statement that you can see here on the screen that has, has stayed the same for the last uh, 15 years. Those four E's that you probably can't remember, but it's experience God, embrace truth, establish community, engage the world. At Living Hope, throughout these last 15 years of all those highs and lows, we want to be a people that experience God, that truly encounter the living God, not just know about Him, but know Him deeply through a Spirit-led relationship, through worship and prayer and active faith. We want to embrace truth at Living Hope. That means dig deep and not skim the surface, not be afraid of hard truths in the Word of God, because we believe that truth changes lives. And so we're going to study the, the Word of God and teach and encourage one another. We're going to establish community. What a joy to hear Brian and Amanda to share about the community that they've experienced over the years. Not just a friendly, smiling place on Sundays, but family that serve and live and grieve together. Honest, intentional, loving relationships. And then engage the world to take the gospel out to the community, to build relationships, to to promote events, to share the gospel with the world. And this has been our, our mission statement. And as you see there in the diagram, that mission has always been centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that this four-part mission flows out of Jesus, who He is, and what He has done for us. And I'm sure that we have not always succeeded in the last 15 years of being gospel-centered, but that's our our desire, that's our heart, is to be be gospel-centered. Now that's a buzzword nowadays, right? A lot of people write books or you hear about a gospel-centered church or a gospel-centered that. What does it truly mean to to be a gospel-centered life or to actually be a gospel-centered church? That's what I want to try to answer and look at and drill deep this morning. We're going to look at Colossians chapter one. If you brought your Bible, if you have your phone, pull up Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at what does it truly mean to be a gospel-centered church. And we're going to see here in this passage the emphasis on, on what I call gospel growth. How the good news of Jesus Christ grows and transforms our lives, our church, and you'll see here in the passage the entire world. By the way, um, after our message this morning, next week we're going to, we're going to launch into a 13-week summer series on the parables. So we're going to have an opportunity to hear from lots of our lay elders and our lay leaders over the summer. And we're going to look at 13 different parables of Jesus in the Gospels and unpack them. So I hope that you'll make, in the midst of the beach and camping and everything else, I hope that you'll make Sunday morning worship a priority over the summers and join us as we look at these stories of the kingdom. It's going to be a super exciting time. So Colossians chapter 1, let me give you some context. Paul, unlike many of the churches that he writes letters to, did not plant Colossae. That church there. From what we can tell, while Paul was in the nearby city of Ephesus for three years, there's a man named Epiphras, who we're going to meet this morning, who came to faith in Christ. He then returned to his hometown of Colossae, shared the gospel, and planted a church there. Epiphras has now traveled to Rome. He's with Paul. He's updating Paul on the church back home. And, and the church is, is being tempted to drift, to drift away from the one true gospel. To drift away from faith in Christ. And there are these ideas and these arguments swirling around in their culture that sound reasonable to many of the Christians. Even plausible to some in the church. And they're threatening to lose their way, to lose their grounding, to no longer become gospel-centered. And so Paul writes this letter. Epaphras is going to carry it back to the church to encourage them to hold on to Jesus, to grow in their faith, to live out the gospel, to live out faith in the one true gospel. And so we're going to read together The first 23 verses, um, follow along with me if you would. The Word of God says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. Amen. We see here this beautiful picture of gospel growth. Of gospel growth. And I want us to look at this idea this morning of gospel growth, not just as we reflect back on the last 15 years, but by His grace as we look ahead to the next 15 years. And we're going to see here what it means to live out our faith, to live out gospel growth. And first of all, as you see there on the screen, it means believing gospel truth. It it calls us to believe gospel truth. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. In verses 3 and 4, Paul and Timothy say that they've been praying for these Christians. Ever since they heard about their faith in Christ, they heard about their love for the saints. And we see in verse 5 that their faith in Jesus Christ is because of the hope that's laid up for them, that's secured, that's reserved for them in heaven. See, listen, Christian, there is more to life than what you can see in this dark and broken world. In Christ, we have the certain expectation of a future A living hope of eternal life in Christ. And this eternal hope has been secured for us in heaven. And and this, this, this secured life is what drives our faith now. And so in verses 6 and 7, Paul says that this eternal hope is what they heard from Epaphras when he shared the gospel with them. And when they learned the word of truth, what he calls the gospel, the word of truth, they understood it and they believed. They believed in the grace of God and truth. They had faith. And this gospel, this good news came to them and they said, yes, it's true. 
See guys, gospel growth begins when you believe the truth of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. And we see in verse 6 that this gospel truth is bearing fruit. It's increasing. That means it's growing, the Greek says. They're growing across the whole world. Hear this. The gospel is a living entity. It grows in us and it grows out from us. We have a, a cherry tree growing in our front yard. And, and I don't think they planted it in a good spot. It's growing in between our front sidewalk and our garage. And so I constantly have to cut it back because it wants to grow up into the roof. It wants to grow up out over the sidewalk so that you can't get to the front door. Trees grow and they expand. And that's what the gospel is like. It grows taller and stronger and deeper and wider. And it bears fruit across the world. See, Paul wrote this to this church about 30 years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven and sent the Spirit. Now, of course, the gospel hadn't reached literally every place on earth. But here, when Paul says the whole world, he means the whole known world of the Roman Empire. See, the gospel has spread and churches have been planted. Yes, in Jerusalem and Judea, but out into Samaria and Syria and Asia and Greece and Italy and, and, and Egypt and North Africa and Persia. And that's only the first 30 years of church history. And now here we stand 2,000 years later. And we've seen this prophetic statement in Colossians 1 unfold as the hope of Christ has spread across the globe. And for 2,000 years, across time, across land and culture and language, across opposition that's come against the church, the gospel has spread and friends, it will continue to spread. And here we stand on our our meager, our, our so meager 15th anniversary. And we're reminded that this gospel is not a living hope thing. This gospel is not a modern thing. It's not an American thing. It's not a Western thing. This gospel is increasing and it's growing across the whole world in men, in women, in children, in, in, in black, in Asian, in Hispanic, in Arab, in white, across wealthy communities, impoverished communities, living middle hope communities, among the educated, the uneducated, the powerful, the weak. The gospel grows because God is at work. And the gospel grows when men and women believe in gospel truth. And we've seen that far beyond the last 15 years that we've experienced. What does it mean? What does it mean to believe the gospel? What is the gospel? I don't want to assume it this morning. Let's take some time and unpack what is this good news that we profess, that we have given our lives to. Look back at verses 12 to 14. Paul calls the Christians to be giving thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. I want you to see here the gospel. This good news. as In terms of what, it, what God has done to us and for us. We see here that we've been transformed. Through the work of Christ in three ways. See those words describing what's been done to us? Friends, you have been qualified, you have been delivered, and you have been transferred. The grace of God means that you've been qualified to share in God's inheritance. By the supernatural, sovereign work of God, He has taken people that were sinful, that were unqualified, and He has now made you righteous and qualified. See, in Christ, listen, you are enough. You are acceptable. In Christ, you are worthy to be a son, to be a daughter of the living God. You no longer live in darkness. Now you are qualified to share in God's light, in the inheritance of all the saints in light. But secondly, you've been delivered. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness. 
As some of you remember all too clearly, apart from Christ, there is only sin and death. They reign. See, we each are trapped. We are trapped in a realm with no light. It's, it's a prison of utter darkness apart from the light of God. But by the death of Christ on the cross, we can be delivered. See, death has been defeated. We are delivered, redeemed. We've been liberated, forgiven of your old life. And you are not only delivered, now you're transferred. That means you're set free and you're relocated. You have a new address, a new identity in God's kingdom. The kingdom, it says, of the beloved Son. See, through the resurrection, you are born again to a new life. That means you're not only forgiven and set free, you are now, you are now adopted and given a place next to God, Creator, where there's protection and purpose where there's power in God's kingdom, in God's family. You have a new citizenship in the kingdom of God, a new identity. See, listen, the Gospel does not just offer you a ticket to heaven. And this is not an opportunity on Sunday mornings to come and to check your ticket, say, yep, I'm still good to go, and then walk off and live your life in the world. The call of Christ is to be transferred into a new kingdom. That means a new way to live even now as God's people, bringing God's kingdom to earth Everywhere that you go, bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. As you live a life reflecting God in love, in sacrifice, in service, in generosity, in humility. As we live our lives and our words and our deeds, offering the grace of God to the people around us. As citizens of this new kingdom. Now look, in each of us as individuals and us collectively as a church, we are only going to grow in this good news when we believe this gospel truth. We're called to trust and to believe it. It's the news of what Jesus has done for you and what He's done to you. You have now been qualified. You've been delivered from sin and death, transferred into the kingdom. And this gospel truth, let me remind you, is centered on a person, centered on a Savior. See, listen, the good news that Christianity proclaims is not some moral list of rules to obey. It's not a list of philosophical precepts to affirm. The Gospel is not a political ideology to subscribe to. The Gospel is not a self-help psychology to lead you to inner peace. The Gospel is a person. The good news of Christianity is a Savior. And that's what Paul goes on to gush about. Listen to him gush in verses 15 to 20. He describes this beautiful, powerful, loving Savior, this beloved Son. He says He's the image of the invisible God. He is fully God. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. Jesus is called their Creator and Sustainer. All things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And in Him, all things hold together. Right now, every molecule in your body is held together by the Son of God. He's called there the head of the church. Jesus is our head. The church is His body. He's called the beginning of the new creation. That means when He rose from the dead, He is the firstborn from the dead. That means Jesus inaugurated, listen to this beautiful theological concept, Jesus inaugurated the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth that we'll experience at the end of time. There will be a renewal of all things where sin and death and Satan and evil will finally be put away. And Jesus is the firstborn, the beginning of that new creation, assuring us that it will come. He is called Reconciler, who reconciles heaven and earth back to God. He makes peace in the, in the war. There's a war against sin and evil. And Jesus made peace through His shed blood on the cross. And at the end there, Jesus is called this beautiful term, preeminent. 
He is the first. He is the beginning. He is the head. He is the top of all things. There is no one, there is nothing that surpasses our Savior Jesus Christ. And to believe the good news is to know this person. It's to believe this person. To follow Him. To trust Him. To believe in His work on your behalf. To believe gospel truth is to have a Savior. Guys, do you believe this? Not have you heard it. Not do you understand it. Not could you tell someone else about it. Not is it familiar to you. Not would you check the box if asked whether or not you're a Christian. But do you believe it in your gut? Have you given your life to, to it? Do you recognize that there is nothing, there is no one that surpasses who Jesus is to you because He is preeminent? For those of you that are here visiting, for those of you that have been here for for months or for years but have never given your life to Christ, would you this day call Jesus Savior on our 15th anniversary? Would you give your life to Him as Savior and, and believe gospel truth? Believe the Savior. We have two different baptisms this summer, one in July, one in August. What a beautiful thing to be able to go from, from 93 people that we've adopted. Wouldn't it be awesome? Let's pray together that we could reach 100 by the end of the summer, or the year of our 15th anniversary. 100 people have come to Christ at Living Hope. To, to grow in the gospel means that we believe gospel truth, but, but I want us to see next, it also means that we bear gospel fruit. See, verse 6 says that in the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. As I said, the gospel is like a tree that's spreading across the whole world, bearing fruit in our lives. What is the fruit of the gospel? Some of you immediately think of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Which is good. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit of the gospel. But let's look for a minute at the fruit that we see here in this passage. I believe we see four fruits of the gospel, four evidences of gospel growth in your life. Love, obedience, endurance, and thanksgiving. See, gospel growth will always bear the fruit of gospel uh, of love. We read that in verse 4. Paul and Timothy said they heard of the love that you had for all the saints. Again, in verse 8, it says that they've heard about your love in the Spirit. See, love, if we have love, it's only by the Spirit of God. Receiving God's love and returning God's love to others is a divine act that must be driven by the Holy Spirit. And if the gospel is going to grow in our lives, it will bear the fruit of love. We will be a loving people. Now love is something that must be directed, right? You can't just have love unless it's directed toward toward something or, or someone. And I propose to you that as Christians, our love is primarily directed towards three people, towards God. That means that, friends, we are dedicated, we are affectionate, we have reverence and worship of God. He has delivered us, He has transferred us into the kingdom. And the Christian life, the fruit of the gospel, is love for God, but it's also love for fellow believers. That's what we saw in verse 4, right? Paul commends them and their love for all the saints. Now look, love is an overused word, and, and yes, in the church we should love one another. What in the world does that mean? Uh, I'm going to just give you three, three little target keywords. If we're going to be a loving community... And love one another, it means honesty, humility, and honor. It means that we're honest with one another. To be loving means that you're open and you're real about your struggles. When you hide what's really going on and you act like you have it all together, you are not loving the person sitting next to you. It's not only honest about how you're doing, but it also means that you speak truth into others. That you exhort them, you encourage them. You challenge them when need be. 
just as you need to be challenged. We're honest with one another in love, but we're humble with one another in love. That means, friends, we don't puff one another up. We prefer each other. We give ourselves humbly to one another, recognizing that, that, that we're all on equal ground before the cross. That none of us, regardless of your position, regardless of whether you've been here for one day or for 15 years, is better than any other. We, we're humble before one another. And we honor one another. That means we value and respect fellow Christians. We're thankful for other people. And, and you can spend your time complaining and grumbling about the things that other people are doing that irritate you, or you can give thanks. You say, that's not the way I would do it, but I'm so thankful for their heart and the way that they are contributing to others. When you see our older saints here in the congregation that, that have earned the right to, to white hair, we honor them. When we see our young people and our children, when we see little Ben Cosma scooting around and giggling while his mom and dad are trying to give announcements, we honor him and we love him. The youngest to the oldest. See, gospel growth bears the fruit of love, but secondly, I want you to see it bears the fruit of obedience. Now bear with me, the word obedience is not in this passage, but look at verse 9. Paul and Timothy are praying that the Christians would continue to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Not just a superficial understanding of the things of God, he says, but in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means a deep, spirit-filled wisdom and understanding of who God is and what His will is. Now, why do they need to understand the will of God? What does verse 10 go on to explain? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Listen, to walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord means living in a way that's consistent with who God is, with His character, and who He has called us to be. And when we live in a way that emulates God, it pleases Him. See, to please God means we live according to His wishes, His command. We're obedient. And the, the fruit of obedience in your life brings God delight. He delights to see you obey Him. Now listen... You are already qualified. If you're in Christ, you are qualified. He couldn't love you any more than He already does. But we can either live in a way that, that pleases Him and obeys Him, or we could live in a way that, that, that He disapproves of, that, that breaks His heart. We strive to obey Him, to walk in His will, to live in a way that pleases Him. The New Testament says that our lives should be focused on how to please the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 says we make it our aim to please Him. That's our life's work is to walk in obedience to please the Lord. And verse 10 goes on to explain how it is that you and I can please our Father who loves us and saves us. It says there in verse 10, by bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's the same language that we saw in verse 6. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. It's growing across the world and in our own lives. See, listen, a healthy Christian is a growing Christian. There's, there's no standing still, I assure you of that. You're either growing in the Lord or you are shrinking away from Him. And if we are rooted in the gospel, we'll be growing in the gospel. We'll be bearing the fruit of obedience and good works. Good works, that means faithfulness. Service, walking in God's will. Listen, the good news of God's grace is not opposed to good works. Good works are the fruit of God's grace. Not the way to earn God's grace, but it's the fruit that manifests once you have received the abundant grace of God. Thirdly, I think we see here in this passage that not only does gospel growth bear the fruit of love and obedience, but the fruit of endurance. Look at verse 11. 
Those who bear fruit and grow in their knowledge of God are strengthened for this life. It says that we're strengthened with all power. Not a human power, but according to God's glorious might. See, God's glorious might is at work in you, strengthening you, empowering you for the Christian life. And what's the result? The result is that you have endurance and you have patience. Now listen, the need for endurance and patience in this life implies what? Implies that there's going to be things pushing against you. There will be hardships. There will be struggles. And there's not a single person in here that, that that's new to. That's, not, that's new news. You know that bodies fail you. You know that, that loved ones get sick. You know that marriages strain and some of them break. You know that some children stray and walk away from the Lord. You know that some of your hopes and dreams don't work out. But remember this, Christ strengthens us to patiently wait on Him, to stand firm in faith in the midst of hard things, in the midst of something you're facing today that may be scary, that may be painful, that may be uncomfortable. The Lord grants you endurance. It's the fruit of the Gospel. And so we stand strong in the work of Christ, enduring through our hardships. The hardships that we face in this world, the temptations that creep up in our own flesh, the opposition that we face in the midst of the devil who comes at us. The fruit of the Gospel is endurance, but but lastly, the fruit of the Gospel is thanksgiving, thankfulness. Verse 12 calls us to be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now look, we give thanks to the Father first and foremost for His love and grace, for rescuing us. But this posture of thanksgiving is not just about, God, thanks for saving me, and now I'm going to live the rest of my life grumbling and complaining about how the people don't do what I want, and nothing ever works out the way that I want. We should be, we should be marked by joyful thankfulness as a fruit of the Gospel. Grateful people, not critical, not complaining, not grumbling. Thankful for the big and the small gifts of life. Thankfulness, joyful thanksgiving should spill out from us into every area of life. And I am so guilty of grumbling and complaining and forgetting this truth. The truth that the gospel bears the fruit in our lives of love, obedience, endurance, and thanksgiving. Not just in us, but out from us to others. See, the fruit of love, obedience, endurance, and thanksgiving, they're like sweet cherries that spill out to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. And when we live this way, they feast off of the fruit of the Gospels as they see it in us, as they see Jesus lived out through us, as God calls them to faith through our witness. But the fruit of the Gospel should perhaps most clearly be seen in the church Because as a church, we don't just believe the gospel, we bear the fruit of the gospel. And it should shape our community of faith. It should shape Living Hope Church. I told you about that cherry tree in my front yard, but what I didn't tell you is that as strong and beautiful as that cherry tree is, those cherries are terrible. They are dry, they are hard, they are bitter, and I'm sure somebody's going to come up to me after church and tell me how to fertilize it or trim it or do something to get that. But for right now, they're terrible. They're bitter fruit. And sadly, far too often, churches believe all the right things about the gospel, but the fruit of the gospel is bitter. And nobody wants anything to do with that kind of fruit. And so we're called to build this gospel-centered church, what Pastor Ray Ortland calls a gospel culture. And in his book, simply called Gospel, he says this. Listen to what he says. He says, a gospel culture is harder to lay hold of than gospel doctrine. right? We can believe the right things, but are we building a culture around that? He says it's not enough for us to ask, does our church teach gospel doctrine? We must also ask, is our church culture 
clearly aligned with that gospel doctrine. And I want to urge every one of you at Living Hope to be asking that question, to hold us accountable to that question. He goes on to say that the gospel gives us more than a place to stand. It also leads us in a path to follow. Cultivating a gospel culture requires a profound, moment-by-moment, unselfing by every one of us. I think he made that word up. But if we're going to live a gospel culture and bear gospel fruit and live in love, we need to unself every moment. We need to we take ourselves off and put Jesus on. Take ourselves off and, and consider one another more important than we consider ourselves. And I believe that in the last 15 years, by God's grace, the Spirit has built a gospel culture here in us. And yes, we have fallen short. And, and many of you can say, I can tell you how this person hurt me. I can tell you how I was let down here. I understand that. But I believe that overall we have seen the fruit of love. We have seen the fruit of people walking in obedience. Seen the fruit of us walking in endurance through hard times. The fruit of thankfulness. I've seen the fruit of love in you guys. As Amanda testified, as you have loved one another, those that are hurting, those that were in need. She testified to to losing Brian's sister and Brian's mother, how you came around that family. And anybody remember when Donna Feltz used to bring an old guy named Ben Johnson to church? This is years and years ago. And we watched as Ben just got more and more frail and weaker and weaker. And Donna Sue would pick him up and faithfully bring him to church every Sunday. And he eventually got so sick that he could no longer make the, the, the couple feet from the Lutheran home next to the Y over to the Y. And so one Sunday, Aaron McKee took his guitar and a bunch of us and our kids, we crammed into Ben Johnson's room in the nursing home at the Lutheran home. And we, after church, we just sung out worship songs to him and showed him the love of Christ. And I've seen it. I've seen the fruit of obedience as young couples here at Living Hope have turned against the culture of the world and have remained sexually pure as they prepared for marriage. Walking in obedience. I've seen people that have been strengthened by endurance through hard times. As loved ones have gotten ill and you've held on to Jesus. As people have died and you've stood strong in faith. You guys remember when Donna and her son Craig came to church for those many months and Craig was in a wheelchair. He would come and, and, and most Sundays he would have seizures and have to leave partway through the service. But, but still, his mom would come and push him in and we would surround them served that family, and then Donna got cancer. And you surrounded Donna. And women showed up at the hospital and, 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 brought, and brought nightgowns for her and meals for her, and we stepped up to provide for, for Craig. Endurance in the midst of hard time. I've seen thankfulness. When there should have been grumbling, I've seen the fruit of thankfulness in our community. I remember, somebody can tell me after the service, the timeline, three or four years ago, we were in the planning stages of our new worship center. And we had an emergency meeting after church of the elders and deacons. And we stood in Studio B because we had found out at the 11th hour, right as the, as the construction was about to go to plans, we found out that if, if we were going to have a worship center in this new space, if we were going to have to be able to grow and have capacity that we wanted to have capacity for, we were being told... After we had already budgeted and planned and fundraised, we were being told, you're going to need to pay for a $74,000 sprinkler system. And after months and months of looking for any other way to get around it, we had this emergency meeting. Now, I will tell you this. I showed up to that meeting hurt, upset, frustrated, discouraged. I had been looking online that week at warehouses in Shrewsbury because I was done. I was done with the why. I was ready to walk away. And 
And I walked into that room, and each and every one of those faithful men, those elders and deacons, as we walked around and we shared what we thought we should do, there wasn't complaining, there wasn't griping, there wasn't grumbling. Each and every one of them said in faith, with a thankful heart, God has called us here and we can do this. This is not just about a warehouse, this is about a mission that we're called to this YMCA, and they were thankful to have the opportunity, thankful to be able to raise additional money, to continue our mission, to stay connected and embedded in our community. And I was ready to vote no and walk away, and they all said yes and I said let's get on board and do you know what $74,000 unbudgeted for this summer our treasurer or the bookkeeper is going to write a check our final payment to the YMCA to pay off every cent that we owe to the Y to move into that new worship center praise God for that thankful heart that heart of faith and my hope and my prayer for each of us as a church community as we will continue to see this kind of gospel growth in us as individuals and as a church community for the next 15 years. But, but let me say this as we, as we wrap up, that there is only one way that this is going to happen. There's only one way that we'll continue to see this kind of gospel growth and this kind of gospel fruit for the next 15 years. And it's what we see in verses 21 to 23. And that is only if we hold on to gospel hope. Verse 21 and 22 Paul, he can't help himself. He just, he just decides he's going to summarize the gospel again because he loves it so much. He says that we were alienated in our relationship with God. We were hostile toward Him. We were engaged in all sorts of evil deeds apart from Christ. But now we've been reconciled back to God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Why? It says, so that God might present you holy, pure, blameless before Him, set apart. And listen, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to die or Jesus is going to return. But we will all pass from this life into the next and you will stand before God. And in Christ, you will stand before Him pure and undefiled, holy, set apart, like God, above reproach. If. You see that in verse 23? If. Now, if statements are never fun, right? If I tell Pete, I will help you move that furniture after church today if you come help me put down mulch, right? That's a conditional clause, right? Conditional clauses uh, rub us the wrong way sometimes, don't they? You will be presented holy and blameless before God if, verse 23 says, if what? If indeed you continue in the faith, if you remain grounded and firmly rooted in Christ, stable, steadfast, Guys, that means we're not wishy-washy. That means we're not shifting away from the hope of the gospel. The gospel is good news of what has been done to you and for you. The gift of salvation is not earned. It's not merited. It's undeserved. It's a free gift. The free gift of God's love. And yet, we have to believe. We have to hold on. You have to have faith. You have to trust God. Now, ultimately, even the faith that's in your heart is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we still, each of us, have the responsibility to trust Him, to hold on to Him. That means don't just believe on day one, but believe on day 1,000. Remain in Him. Don't shift away. Don't look to another hope. Don't get distracted by the things of the world. Don't lose interest. Now remember, as we read in verse 5, this hope that's laid up for you is laid up in heaven. In the Greek, that means that it's stored, it's reserved. God has your name written on a spot in heaven. You belong to Him and He's reserving it. He is holding you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And now the call is to hold on. 
to not shift, to believe. So here we are on, on year 15, and, and it's interesting, you know, the longer you've been around, the longer you can look ahead. When you've been married one year, it's all you can do to think about year two. But on your 10th anniversary, you probably start looking at year 10 to 20. And so here we are 15 years in, which honestly is just part of a little bit of a drop in the bucket. But, but I'm calling us to look ahead to the next 15 years. And by the time we reach year 30, maybe we'll be like one drop in the bucket of God's kingdom. The year will be 2037 when we reach year 30. Maybe they'll be flying cars by then. I don't know. But, but guys, do you realize how small scale we're, we're on? Since, since, since the foundation of the earth, God's kingdom has been at work. So for 2,000 years, God's church has been at work. I saw a sign of a church in Shrewsbury that's celebrating their 200th anniversary. This 15 years is, is a part of a drop in the bucket. But if we're going to make it to year 30, if we as a congregation are going to make it to year 200, it's going to result, it's going to be because of one thing. Did the people hold on to Christ? Did the people remain stable in their faith? Did the leadership, did the ministry, did the vision stay focused and grounded in Christ and in the hope of the gospel? And if we as a church community, as elders, if we're going to ask ourselves that question and hold ourselves accountable to that question, that means each of us asking ourselves, because we are the church, will you hold on to the hope of the gospel? Will you trust God for gospel growth? As the worship team comes back up, just think about that for a moment. Is the gospel growing in your heart? Can you say today, yes, I have believed gospel truth. I believe that I'm qualified. I believe that I'm delivered. I believe that I've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Is the gospel bearing fruit in your life? Do you see love and obedience and endurance and thankfulness at work in your life? You say, not as much as I would like. Amen to that. Sometimes fruit grows slowly. But do you see the fruit of love and obedience and faithfulness and joy and thankfulness at work in you? And, and brothers and sisters, are you holding on to gospel hope? Let's continue to stand firm. Stand firm on the ground of Christ. The same, the same solid ground that you set your feet on on day one. Continue day in and day out to wake up, to put your feet on the ground and say, Jesus, I stand on you. I hold on to you. When everything else is shifting and stirring and turning, when my eyes are tempted to be distracted, when my hands are tempted to grab something else, I hold on and I will continue to, to stay firm. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we know that You're not going to let go of us. And so we ask now for the grace to not let go of You. To not lose hope that there would be a living hope truly bearing fruit in our lives that we would not get distracted, not be lured away, not be enticed by the empty promises of this world. Help us to stay firm in Gospel truth, to bear the fruit of love among us. That this Gospel would not just be something in a doctrinal statement, but it would be who we are and how we live for one another, what we offer to the world for each of us and for our church. We give you thanks and we give you praise. And we offer up this song of worship now, declaring that we belong to you and declaring that you belong to us. Christ, you're mine. I belong to you and you're mine and I hold on to you today and forevermore. Be glorified, be lifted up. Savior Jesus, have your way among us. We worship you. Stir faith in us. Stir the fruit of the Gospel in us. 
We pray and sing in Jesus' name. Amen.